Our topic today is the original family feud. Abraham takes a second wife, becomes the father of the Arabs. Today we're going to talk about Sarai and Hagar who become deadly enemies. And then we're going to show you today from the Bible how God revealed to Abraham 4,000 years ago the truth of the everlasting gospel. 2,000 years before Jesus, God revealed to Abraham the truth of the everlasting gospel. All this and so much more today as we talk about truths to live by. And I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Today we're going to notice two chapters in the book of Genesis as we continue our series, Truths to Live By. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1 to start with. Dear hearts and gentle people, we want to give to all of our viewers today across North America our very best welcome to this program. And we want you to be praying for St. Petersburg. The great campaign in the huge Lenin Palace of Culture is due to start August the 2nd on the Saturday. We believe hundreds of thousands of people are going to come to know God because of these series. Pray for St. Petersburg, would you please? Now we're going to come to the book of Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1 and 2. But verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. What does this mean? When the writer Moses says, because Moses wrote these words, after this. What is the after this? The last time we studied from the book of Genesis, we saw there Abraham fighting the kings of Mesopotamia, a bloody battle. And because he was involved in this battle, he believed that he had incurred the animosity of those people and his life would never be the same again. And so the Bible says, after this, after this battle, God came to him, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Did you know, this is the very first time this expression is used in the Bible. After this, it is used many times with this expression, the word of the Lord came. This is the expression that is used in the Bible to indicate the coming of the word of God to the prophet because Abraham was a prophet. And after this, after the battle he had fought and won, the word of the Lord came to him. And God said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. God says, after this, after this battle, I will bless you. You don't need to be afraid because I'm going to watch over you and I will be your shield, and I will be your very great reward. My friend, when a warrior went forth to fight the foe, he carried a shield upon his arm. And the Bible tells us that God is our shield, our defender, and our protector. Amen. 
Do we need this promise today? I ask you. I've had people come to me and they say, I could never go with you to Russia because it's not safe. And I say, tell me, friend, where do you live? They say, Los Angeles. (laughs) Did you know, and this telecast is coming out of Los Angeles on the Sabbath morning, the most violent country in the industrialized world is this country. You have a far greater chance of being killed in Los Angeles or the cities of the United States of America than being killed in Israel or Syria or Iraq or any of those Middle Eastern countries. The Bible tells me that God has promised to defend and to protect his people. We have a very precious family that comes to this church and they have a a restaurant And the lady who was in charge of the restaurant told me recently, some time ago this happened, as she walked out of the restaurant and went round the back of the restaurant to get into a motor car, a man stepped out of the shadows and put a gun to her forehead. He thought she was carrying money. We would say, we need, my friend, the protection of God with us every moment of every day especially if you live in New York or Chicago and especially Washington and Los Angeles and the great cities of the land. After this, God said, don't be afraid. I will be with you. We have a television production center here in Glendale on Broadway, 647. It seems to be quiet. And yet just a few weeks ago, A few hundred yards from our office, a man was sitting in his motor car. I walked there every day. And a man came up to him because they suspected that he was carrying money. And he was. And a man put in a gun and fired into his brain. This is in America. I've had church member after church member come and tell me of their close encounters with death. I want every person who is watching on 3ABN and on our other stations across North America to know this truth. You and I are immortal until our work on earth for God is completed. Did you hear this? You and I are immortal. Nothing can touch us. Nobody, my friend, can go past the shield. When God has that shield up, nothing can touch you and nothing can touch me. I am immortal until God says so. And so God came to Abraham. He said, don't you worry, Abraham. I am your defender. I am your shield. I am your very great reward, verse 2. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. As it was according to the custom of those days, if the wife failed to produce a son, then the servant, the most honored servant, became the person who inherited the wealth. 
But God said to him, verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Listen, my friend. Abraham was now an old man, and it seemed utterly impossible. And so when Abraham was facing what appeared to be an impossible situation, God took him outside, and God said, look at the stars. Because firstly, when you look at the stars, you see the greatness of our great God. And he said, look at the stars and count the stars if you can because your offspring is going to be like the stars in the sky, innumerable. It seemed impossible because Sarai was barren and he was an old man, but with God nothing shall be said to be impossible. I want you to think, my friend, of impossible situations. I want you to think of an impossible situation in your, in your own life. When I was a boy of 15 years of age, I went to my first youth camp. It was called Maranatha. I had no idea in those days what Maranatha meant. The Lord is coming. I was not very interested in the Lord. But I went to this youth camp, my very first youth camp, and there I was taught a song that has lived with me and haunted me from that day to this. The words were, the words are, Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things others cannot do. So look at the stars. God said to Abraham, because I am in the impossibility business. This church, this ministry is facing our biggest challenge. If I did not have a sense that God was with me, I would be afraid. In less than three months, August 2, we start a campaign in the Lenin Palace of Culture in the city of St. Petersburg, a city that's filled with six and a half million hungry, spiritually hungry souls. And God has called us to do this work. This is not our work, but God has called us to do this work. And it's going to cost more than half a million dollars. Who is going to help us? Is a giant organization going to come to our aid and say, here is the money, just go and preach the word and relax? God is going to help us. And God is going to speak to people's hearts. 
people who can give are going to be moved by God to give. And the money is going to happen. Because God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things that others cannot do. And I want you to think about the impossible situation in your own life, my friend, and realize that we are dealing with a God who loves impossible situations. Verse 6. God said, God said in verse 5, I'm going to work a miracle for you. Count the stars. Your offspring's going to be like that. And verse 6, here is the great text. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This text, my friend, became the bulwark of the book of Romans, the great cornerstone of the great apostle Paul's theology. This is the great text where God outlines to the prophet the truth of righteousness by faith. This is the great text that is used in Galatians and Romans and other great books in the New Testament. Abraham believed in the Lord. He believed that God was trustworthy. And the Bible says God gave to him as a credit his own righteousness. This text is not important. It is tremendously important. It tells me that I get righteousness not because of my works or not because I earn righteousness, but I get righteousness as a gift from God when I believe in God. Amen. This is called the doctrine of righteousness by faith. When the dying thief believed in Christ, at that moment God gave him perfect righteousness so he could pass through the judgment and could be with Christ in paradise. We cannot earn this. This was the doctrine that was preached by the great Martin Luther. You see, the great church of his day taught that righteousness was given to us by God as a process. They talked about infused righteousness. That the Holy Spirit came and worked in my life. And that is true. And the Holy Spirit gradually made me more righteous and more righteous and more righteous. Until finally I was 100% righteous. That my friend is the doctrine of the Antichrist. It is believed by multitudes of souls today. It is a damnable heresy. And so the great church of the dark ages invented the doctrine of purgatory because the church of the dark ages knew that nobody in this lifetime in himself becomes perfect. And so the doctrine of purgatory became a theological necessity to purge sin out of the soul so the person could come and stand in the presence of God. But this doctrine destroys the doctrine of purgatory because if God declares me righteous in a moment because I have faith in God, I do not need purgatory. 
I am now ready for heaven. Say amen again and praise the Lord. This is the great teaching of the Bible. And the Bible says, and most people who go to church have no idea about this. They believe the doctrine of infused righteousness, the doctrine of the Council of Trent, and thus they have no security, no peace of mind. They carry with themselves an awful burden. But Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8, seeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preach beforehand the gospel unto Abraham. Somebody says to me today, but the gospel is only a new thing. They did not have the gospel in the Old Testament. I tell you, my friend, the Bible says the gospel was preached to those people. It was the same gospel that we have today. There is not an Old Testament gospel and a New Testament gospel. The Bible, my friend, talks about the everlasting gospel. And when a person believes in God, God gives to that person in a moment of time absolute assurance and complete righteousness 100%. And so Abraham even though he made mistakes, was covered by the righteousness of God and was safe in the arms of the Lord. And he was bound for glory. Are you bound for glory today, my friend? You bound for glory? Now the Bible tells us some more. I want you to notice this. Verse 7, he also said to him, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. God says, Abraham, I've got a present for you. I'm going to give you this land. Notice it. God gives a promise. I'm going to give you the land. Don't forget this. But verse 8, But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. What is all this talking about? In ancient days when they made a covenant, they sacrificed animals because the life of the animal stood for the life of the people negotiating the covenant. It was a sign of absolute fidelity that here is a solemn promise being made and this promise is being confirmed by blood. Verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for a hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, go to your fathers, will go to your fathers in peace, and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And so, this man, my friend, 
falls into a deep sleep. It's not a pleasant sleep. It is the horror of an awful darkness that comes over him. And God says to him, I'm going to give you the land. Did you notice this? God said, I'm going to give you the land. And his heart rejoiced. But then God says to him, 400 years. 400 years. God promised him the land, but now says 400 years. And history tells me the children of Israel lived in Egypt for 215 years. The Bible tells me the first generation went down, then the second generation, then the third generation, and the fourth generation came out of Egypt. From Abraham to Mount Sinai, the giving the law on Mount Sinai is a period of 430 years. You read about this in Galatians chapter 3. But this period of roughly 400 years is a story of setback after setback, delay after delay, disappointment after disappointment. I want to tell everybody here something. The promise of God is certain. When God makes a promise, you can depend upon God. God has made the promise and sealed it with blood, with the blood of his own son. But listen, my friend. When God makes a promise, God doesn't always seem to be in a hurry. And this is the reason many of us become discouraged. God said, I'm going to give you the land. Then he gives him a vision and he says, 400 years. 400 years. There's a man who's written a book entitled The Delays of God. At least a chapter in a book called The Delays of God. He tells the story of John chapter 11, how Lazarus gets sick, sick unto death. And they send a message to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't do anything about helping his friend. And he stays in the same place for several days, and Lazarus dies. And after he dies, Jesus comes. But Jesus says to the disciples, I'm glad I didn't go for your sake so that you will see the glory of God. And when God, my friend, causes a delay in his plan, it is not because God is robbing us of anything, but the delays of God are for the blessing of his people. Amen. And some of you here today and watching on television, you may be praying earnestly for healing. I do not believe that God always instantaneously heals. I don't believe this. I do not find that God teaches this in the word of God. And you may be praying for the solution to some great personal problem. Let me tell you, my friend, the word of God is sure and the word of God will be fulfilled for you at the very best time, at the right time. And God is working on a program. God has got a plan and a purpose for the human race. And he's got a plan and a purpose for you. Let me tell you. 
Why were we kept waiting for 90 days to get permission for the St. Petersburg campaign? Every day we had a representative in the mayor's office and every day a representative of the mayor came out and said, manana. Well, not exactly. But they came out and they said in Russian, it'll be tomorrow. And then next week, we were kept waiting for 90 days. And this has put us in a very difficult situation. We've only got 90 days to raise the money. But let me tell you folks something. This is all a part of the plan and the purpose of God. Amen. And God allows delays so that we can learn meekness and patience. Amen. But I want every person to know this today. That God has a plan and a purpose for every human being. Every person watching the television program. The Bible says all things work together for good. God has got a plan and a purpose for the human race. And somebody has said these words. Alan White said these words. Listen to this. This is important. God's appointments know no haste and no delay. That's a blessing to me. God's appointments know no haste and no delay. I say to the person who is going through some trauma, some sickness, and you're praying for healing, God will heal you at the very right time. Amen. I say to the person who has a financial crisis and you don't know how you're going to pay your taxes, God is going to send you the money at the very right time because God's appointments know no haste and no delay. God's plan may appear to be slow, but my friend, it is absolutely certain. Now please notice verse 16. Genesis 15. Verse 16. God says, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. What is it talking about? God said, I can't give you the promised land and allow you to dispossess these people because I haven't finished with them yet. I have a plan and a purpose for these pagan, these heathen Amorites. And the Bible says they haven't filled up their cup yet. Did you know that there are degrees of sin and degrees of guilt? And God has a record with the nations as he does have with individuals. And as God looks over the great city of Los Angeles, a city that one commentator this week called the second Sodom, because of the great sins of this great city, its great evil, its great wickedness, and people say, why doesn't God wipe this city off the face of the earth? Why doesn't he send a 10 or 11 on the Richter scale? Because, my friend, God is not yet finished with Los Angeles. 
God has got a plan and a purpose for this city. And God keeps a record with people, with you, with you watching here. He has a record of every life. He has a record of every nation. And when the measure of iniquity reaches that point which has been determined by Almighty God, then judgment comes. That's why the old hymn writer wrote the words, there's a line that is crossed by rejecting the Lord, where the call of the Spirit is lost. As you travel along with the pleasure-mad throng, have you counted, have you counted the cost? I want to say to every person in this church today, have you counted the cost? Lest your soul should be lost, though you gain the whole world for your own, even now it may be that the line you have crossed, have you counted, have you counted the cost? But when these verses were given, this message was given to Abraham, the Amorites were approaching that line, but they hadn't gone over the line. And God said, I still have people among those pagan sinners, and I'm not going to allow them to be destroyed until the time is up. I want to say to every person here today that God loves you and God wants you to be saved. And if there's a person here today in the church or watching on television and you're going deeper and deeper into sin, it is time now to turn back to God while you and I have the opportunity. This is the message of the word of God to you today. Would you read on, my friend? Would you read on and notice the verse that describes the divine presence? Verse 17, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. This is the sign of the divine presence. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenanzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. God said, it is going to happen one day. Be patient, it'll happen. Chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. In those days, this was a cause for concern, consternation, and shame because even though she dearly, dearly wanted to have a family, the Bible says she was barren. So Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. You know where she got her from? Most likely as a gift from Pharaoh when she had been placed in Pharaoh's harem. And she came with the new position. 
And Pharaoh was gracious enough, even though they had committed a terrible blunder, to allow Abraham to keep, keep the gifts. And this girl was one of the gifts, and what a gift she was. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, my friend, it's not as bad as it sounds because back in those days, this was the custom. If the first wife couldn't produce children, the custom was to take a second wife. And you know, my friend, this is 10 years after the promise. Would you have waited for 10 years? God made the promise to Abraham and Sarai 10 years previously. They were long, slow years. And now they decided they would help God just a little bit. No children, shame, and desperate people are tempted to do desperate things. And so it's a custom, and they say, it's a custom, therefore we will do it. Abraham and Sarai were noted for their faith and their piety. But they were in a very difficult situation with lots of stress and lots of perplexity. And they made a mistake. After 10 years, I can imagine Sarai saying to God, God, why so long? Why don't you do something? Don't you know I'm getting old? Ten years? And after ten years, she said, I think it's time we help the Lord out just a little bit. And if you'll notice now, Genesis 16 and verse 4, we need to be careful about helping the Lord out, my friend. He doesn't need our help. Amen. Go sleep with my maidservant, verse 2. Perhaps I can build my a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took his, her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband, to be his wife. And it doesn't say it in the Bible, but in the Carter translation it says, and wow. Because problem started. Verse 4 says, He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And my friend, this home that had been such a happy home was racked with fighting and all sorts of problems. This girl was a slave girl. Sarai was the master. But Sarai was barren and the slave girl was pregnant. 
and her success in conceiving a child filled her with pomposity and she became obnoxious. And of course, barrenness was a sign of God's disfavor in those days, and fertility was a sign of God's favor. And so God was on her side, and Sarah obviously didn't have the blessing of God. And if you read on a little further, verse 5, Then Sarai said to Abraham, Abram, you are responsible, responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Verse 6, your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. And that was absolutely understandable. Uh, Sarai didn't show a great deal of uh, graciousness of Christianity. And what she did to this girl who'd been elevated to a wife, she put her back down as a slave. Probably physically mistreated her. Abraham said, well, you can do what you want to do because she's your servant. And so Hagar runs away from home. And this was the start of all the problems. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord. This is an expression that often means the Lord himself, the second person of the Godhead, the messenger of the Lord. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. This is interesting because the Lord recognized that Sarai was still number one. She may have been barren, but she was still number one. At verse 9, then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. My friend, there's a time to fight and there's a time to submit. And this was the time to submit. The Bible teaches that humility and meekness are characteristics of a child of God. And God said to this Egyptian girl, don't fight her. It's a lost cause. Don't fight her and it's not your responsibility to fight her. I'll fight your battle. He said, you go back and you submit to her. But notice verse 10. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child, and you will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers.
Now, I want to talk about these verses for a minute, and I want you to think about some things. There are millions of people in the world today who believe in God. They believe in a creator God, but they do not believe that God takes interest in people. They look upon God as a benevolent, absentee landlord. That he started everything off, he started the world off, he got it going, and then he left. The Bible teaches in these verses that God knows everything about us and is interested in us. Here is an Egyptian girl... She has been mistreated and she runs away from home and she's out in a desert place and God comes down in the person we believe of his son and he says, I know what your problem is. Now you go home like a good girl and submit to her. I know she's not treating you right. But I'm not finished with her yet, and I'm not finished with you yet, Hagar. And you're pregnant with a boy, and his name is going to be called Ishmael, which means God hears. And he's going to become the father of a mighty nation. Do you know what nation that is today? The nation of the Arabs. And the verse that says he's going to be the wild donkey of a man is not so derogatory as you think. It talks about the donkey out in the desert that cannot be tamed and that gallops wherever it wants to go. Like the wild Bedouin tribes of Arabia. So God said, all is not lost. I'm going to bless Sarai but I'm going to bless you too because I'm interested in you. Please read on, my dear friends, these great verses. Verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I've now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer, Laroi, Roi, it is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham gave the name Ishmael to the son he had born, to the son she had born. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Listen, my friend, I want you to think about some of these things. Abraham became the father of the Arabs and later on the Israelites. The animosity that exists today between them goes back to the hatred that burned in the hearts of their mothers, Hagar and Sarai. Little did they think that their attitudes and actions would influence their sons and their descendants for 4,000 years if only they had learned to get along and forgive. Now think about what you've read here today. I will be your shield. Is he your shield? Righteousness is a gift 
given the moment I believe. God's plan often seems slow, but is certain. Even the best men and women make mistakes and deserve forgiveness. And human plans are sure to err. Our attitudes and actions may have long-lasting consequences. And God sees and hears everything. How many would say today, as they watch the program on television and here in the church, I would like God to be my shield. I want today His righteousness. I want His presence and His guidance in my life. I want today the assurance of knowing that God has met with me and He sees me and He hears me. Therefore, He is my personal God today. If you want that, raise your hand today and tell God, that is what I want today by His grace. Let's keep your hands up and we'll pray. Dear Father, we thank you for these old, old stories that tell us modern truths or truths for modern days, truths whereby we can live. May these great truths today settle into our hearts May we have today the righteousness of God by faith, not by works, but today now. And may we have the assurance that God is our shield, that he's a personal God, and today he sees us and he hears us. For Jesus' sake, amen.